Welcome to the Broderpool Village Podcast. My name is Brian Wheat, your host, podcasting from Village Recording Studio, right here in Broderpool. My guest today is Bob Berry, a local actor and soon-to-be author. Alrighty, welcome to the show. Um, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, one announcement, I've moved the um, Where's Brian segment to the end of the show. And just FYI, and uh, at the end of the show, we'll be announcing the winners of the previous Where's Brian and then playing the new Where's Brian segment for you to guess where I am. Really excited about today's show. We are debuting the world premiere of a new short story podcast entitled A Walk in the Dark, uh, performed by voice actors in the vein of Rod Serling, Twilight Zone, and Alfred Hitchcock. And we're going to be playing you here the first episode called The Accident, produced right here at Village Recording Studio. After the segment is played, we'll interview the author, Bob Berry, to get some insights on how he came up with the story and a little bit of his background. Uh, something to note that you'll hear some hopefully familiar voices in this short story. So it's only six minutes long. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, let's get to it. Welcome to our short story series, A Walk in the Dark. I'm your host, Billy Hannon. Today's dark drama is entitled, The Accident. Come along for a ride, if you dare. My eyes open, and I'm lying on the back seat of my car. Don't know how or why it happened so fast. Vaguely remember white center stripes on the highway flashing rhythmically, laser-like, as mesmerizing as the clickety-clack sounds of train wheels. Then loss of control. It's the last I remember. Not sure who I am. Salesman, I think, selling something. Something in the trunk, I think. Wonder what's happened to the trunk. Can't turn around, just staring straight ahead, looking sideways at the black outline of the split front seat. Peculiar sensation, almost like weightlessness. No pain, although I somehow feel I must be in pretty bad shape. It's so perfectly still and peaceful now. Must be in shock, or maybe dead, that could be. No, something just flickered past the window above my head, there again, and another, leaves, leaves falling from trees. I'm not dead, there's movement, there's life, and I'm seeing it. And the sky has grown pink. Must be dawn or maybe sunset. I can see more than I could before, and what I see makes me want to shut my eyes, but I can't. Who was with me? Who is the poor devil with me? I remember his deep resonant voice, a sort of trusting voice, but who was he? Who had been talking with me, and where would we have been going? 
Whoever he was, he didn't know what hit him. He slumped so badly that all I can see is a portion of his shoulder. He must have been driving. Part of the roof seems caved in on him, the poor devil. So that's what death looks like. It's not as frightening a sight as I might have imagined. It's just something there in front of me, very still and unmoving, a mannequin. At least there'd be no suffering for him. Strange that I can't move my eyes. Maybe a blessing. Perhaps I shouldn't see what's wrong with the rest of me. Could possibly mean a, a lifetime in bed or in a wheelchair. Could be worse. I, I could be the one in the front seat. <sighs> Dread the pain. I, I know it will come and I will suffer, but at least at this moment there is nothing. In fact, I can't remember such tranquility. <laughs> it's a laugh. I can't remember much of anything. Strange. It was dawn or sunset, I thought. It was pink and I saw leaves falling, but maybe I was mistaken. It is dark again, almost. I can barely make out the outline of the shoulder in the front seat. No feeling. Darker. Still. Everything blending into thick black. At 7.40 a.m., Sheriff Harvey Jeter and Deputy Lester Abel arrived at the scene of an accident on County Road 1060. Reporting their arrival and location, they moved down the 12-foot embankment and some 40 feet into a thicket of small trees and wild blackberry bushes. A late-model, badly damaged car sits upright. A piece of guardrail protrudes through the windshield. Uh, can't do much here. Look around and see if anyone's been thrown out. Deputy Abel, with flashlight in hand, swats at low-hanging branches as he makes his way in search of any other unfortunates. His heart pounds with sick anticipation, and his breathing becomes heavy and stuck in his throat. After a few minutes, he returns to the car, relieved that his search has yielded nothing. Hey, you find anything? Nothing. You ever see anything like this before? Only, only seen one like it before. I think it was back in 02. Car ran beneath a semi. Well, decapitation's never a pretty sight. At least he didn't have to suffer. The deputy glances into the back seat and fights back a wave of nausea. There, amidst the shattered glass, lies the severed head of a man, eyes open, staring straight ahead, the picture of tranquility. The Accident was written and directed by Bob Berry. The cast included Bob Berry, Bernard Werger, and Brian Weed. Theme song by Brian Weed. Produced at Village Recording Studio, Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Billy Hannon. 
Join us next time for a new episode of Walk in the Dark. So, welcome to the studio, Bob Barry. Appreciate you stopping by. Very, very nice to be here. Thanks for the invite, Brian. Yeah. So, Bob, tell me uh, the origination for that story we just heard. What was the inspiration for it? I can visualize the moment. It was uh, June, late June of 1967. I was on the IU campus. I had just come out of a restaurant and I heard a couple talking. And they said, oh, I, I just heard that Jane Mansfield was killed in a car crash. And I kind of halted and uh, leaned against, the, and I wanted to hear more of their conversation. And uh, they were talking. He said, well, what happened? Da, da, da. And uh, apparently early in that, that morning, Jane Mansfield and two other adults and three children were near New Orleans. She was going to a new gig, I don't know what, but they were driving and it was foggy. And their car suddenly slammed into the back of a semi. And the room, the first news report said, Jane Mansfield has been decapitated. Wow. Here is for younger people who don't know, Jane Mansfield was uh, kind of the, stepchild, if you will, of Marilyn Monroe. She was a, a, a beautiful blonde who did some, she was not the world's best actress, but she could do some comedy. And uh, she had a few films under her belt and was very popular mainly because of her looks and she was doing a lot of publicity. Well, they, the National Enquirer and some of the scandal sheets got a hold of it, of course, and they perpetuated the story that uh, Jane Mansfield had been decapitated and they talked about somebody had actually picked up her head and put it on the hood of, the, of what was left of the car. Mm. Um, it was determined later, and you can look at it, Google it or whatever, her name, she was not decapitated, uh, but her skull was crushed. Sure. And uh, as well as the other adults, the children lived, by the way, and uh, her daughter, many people know as uh, Marissa Hargitay. So Marissa was on the... Uh, in the back seat. Wow. And she recovered. She's a beautiful woman who's on television. And um, so that is the germ of the idea for the accident. Hmm. So let's, let's go back. Um, what um, Are you from Indianapolis originally? I, well, originally from uh, Decker, Indiana, the watermelon okay. capital of Indiana, in Knox County near Vincennes, okay. and uh, near Red Skelton Territory. And I grew up there, stayed there for 18 years, uh, raising watermelons and cantaloupes, a farm boy. And uh, then I went to IU. I really wanted to join the Air Force, and my folks both went to IU. So they said, no, you're going to college first. So okay. I more or less had to go to there. And I, I was a rebel. I was probably the only one on campus to wear blue jeans. I'm talking 1958 Wow. when I started college. I'm giving away my age. Anyway. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but in 1958, I was really rebellious. I did not want 
to go anyway. And I was also a rebel because I was a big fan of James Dean. Okay. Anyway, James Dean really hooked me into the acting. When I went to IU, I signed up for pre-law, and I was there for a semester, I think. And I said, this is not for me, and I I started theater on campus. And that hooked me. And uh, from then on, I was determined I was going to be an actor. And uh, that stayed with me for, it stayed with me for decades. Mm -hmm. And I still do it. Now, that has not been my primary um, source of income. You don't make a living audience. You don't make a living in Indiana acting uh, even full time. Believe you have to have your day job. Mm-hmm. I tell that to everyone, and it was true for me. You know, sure. I taught high school, college, and uh, wrote commercials. Okay. Uh, went on air with a particular station here in town. And um, I think I was made uh, $60 a week on the TV station okay. doing movie reviews once a week. But it was fun. Uh, for 25 years, until this past year, I had the Actors Workshop in Carmel. Okay. And they also met at the Jewish Community Center here in Indianapolis. And uh, I, I would have maybe a, a dozen, maybe up to 20 students once a week that would meet and, and I would give them uh, material to work on, monologues and scene work and so forth. And we'd talk about acting and what you do and don't do on stage. Uh, and also stage acting versus film acting. Mm-hmm. There is a difference, mm-hmm. big difference. And um, so what I do now is teach privately out of my home. That's, so you prepare them for auditions. I prepare. That's my main goal: prepare them for stage auditions, film auditions, whether it be for uh, instructional films or whatever. And um, so that's my job, and I'm, I'm very happy to say quite a few of my students have have made it. A couple have been in feature films. Oh, really? And as uh, well, extras, like, sure. And um, I mean, so I, I feel very, uh, very proud of that. I think my greatest uh, thrill, if you will, is going out in this community, theater community, and seeing some of my people on stage, mm-hmm. particularly when they get you know, lead roles or, or sizable roles. It's very satisfying. It's very. It's, yeah. it, I feel like I'm up there with them somehow. Sure. You know? Oh, no. And, yeah. So to influence a, someone it, in that regard. Right. And so I, and I, I have directed some shows, but... Um, there's nothing like coaching somebody and then seeing seeing them accomplish. Sure. But of late, I have the uh, the writing bug, mm-hmm. and I always have had. But it has centered most recently on the horror, uh, supernatural type short stories. Yeah. And uh, so far, I have about twenty of them, and I'm booking hopefully for a, a book publication next year. What I found intriguing about your stories is they they had a little bit of a Twilight Zone spin on them with a um, usually a twist ending or at least an ending that catches you by surprise and um, it, it looks like you have fun coming up with those things. Many of my stories have twists. I uh, grew up with Alfred Hitchcock's magazine as well as his TV show and of course Rod Serling's Twilight Zone. We both have a, a love for storytelling. I'm less. Uh, knowledgeable of the you know the the stories back in the day of radio and i think um you know capturing some of that and and i've been reading and and want to be a part of this what they're calling the second golden age of audio which is podcasts Mm -hmm. and the uh the ability to take audio um uh you know kind of into the mainstream as a storytelling mechanism 
which we've kind of got, it kind of got replaced by television in a lot of ways. But the beauty of audio as a, as a uh, communication means, it's probably the, it's the most primitive form of storytelling. It started with stories delivered orally, right? Well, and the, the wonderful thing about that is uh, the use of the imagination Television and film don't leave much to the imagination. You can sit back and watch and hear everything, and it just comes at you, you know, and flows through you. But with radio, I was born, well, I hate to say this, but 1940. And uh, the golden age of radio was 1927 to 47, which means I, I got approximately five, six years that I could understand what was going on from the speaker. And we had a large console radio which is larger than most TV sets now. And we would, I, we, my family, would watch for certain programs, and I was keyed in on the detective and the mysteries and so forth, Intersanctum, uh, The Shadow, and all of these programs. And the marvelous thing about radio that probably the audience today cannot envision is that particularly if the younger people listening to radio if there became a particularly dramatic moment, you would move closer to the radio and you would look at the speaker. You would look at it as <laughs> if you were seeing something. But what you were seeing, of course, was in your mind. Mm -hmm. But it conjured up such beautiful imaginary images. Mm -hmm. And my initial with this book and these short stories, uh, of course, was to put it in book form to be read. And there is certainly the difference between reading a book or reading a script and dramatizing it with actors. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going through now is taking the stories that I've written and taking out some, like he said, she said, and, and just having actors interpret it as if it's happening to them at that moment. And hopefully that's going to work. Yeah. And, uh, now, let me ask you a question because, you know, this is a, the Broad Ripple Village podcast and, and um, you know, obviously it, it's in Indianapolis. But one of the things I'm particularly interested in and, and have experience in is this community typically attracts, you know, artists and, you know, musicians and there's, uh, there's art galleries, there's all sorts of things. The one thing that isn't here is a theater. And I had heard uh, rumors of a theater possibly opening, opening here. But um, I guess in, in putting that aside, are there a lot of actors like in Indianapolis that do they collect and kind of are they centered anywhere or, or is it they kind I, of spread out? I'm afraid out? not. They're scattered. They're really scattered a lot in the suburbs. Uh, most of the people that I get are, I do have some veterans who will come to me because they're getting set for an audition, but most are brand new people who are curious mm -hmm. about acting. Sure. You know, can I do it? Or they see people on uh, TV and, and they say, gee, I could do, I could do that. And they're making big money. So why can't I? So they want to try it mm -hmm. and try their wings, which is nothing wrong with that. But um, as far as there being a central location uh, or a center, unfortunately not. Mm -hmm. And even the theaters, it, there was a time when actors would, like myself, would gravitate to certain theaters because we liked it. We liked the directors there. Mm -hmm. We liked the other actors who we became kind of a, a click, if you will, for a while. I worked with some several actors numerous times uh, and it was comforting to know that you could work with somebody who, who knows you know the business mm -hmm. and can get on stage and deliver 
And today, it's it's not quite like that. Either they've aged out of it, some mm-hmm. of the people that I know, which is certainly the case. Sure. Um, but the younger people, there are so many things that are pulling young people away from the raw stage, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, there's too many other things to do, too many events, whether it's athletic events, school events, whatever. And I'm not saying it's a shame. It, it happens, and I'm sure they're having su- success in other areas, but... When it comes to actors in Indianapolis, it's um, it's getting a little pretty slim. slim. Yeah, and maybe you can comment on the difference between um, a voiceover or a voice actor and an actor that either appears on stage or in a movie. Is there? Do you teach those folks differently? Yes. First of all, all of us have an acting range. You know, I know my range. Uh, I was working with a young lady. Uh, last week, whose range is from, uh, I think she's 22 years old. And I, I put her at a range of, she can do 16 to 32. Hmm. Now, for stage... Age, ages. Yeah, and, and that depends on, of course, if it's stage, it, it depends on how they make her up and the costume and so forth. But voice-wise, she's capable of doing 16 to 32. Hmm. Oh, voice Which is incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and vocally, too. She can drop the voice a little bit and growl, whatever, mm-hmm. um, like I do for the old men. Uh, I'm an old man now. What am I saying? But anyway, uh, yes, there is. The, the actors tend to be better at doing voice work simply because they know how to manipulate the voice mm-hmm. with inflectional patterns, ups and downs sure. with the voice. Right. You know, not just a flat monotone. Mm-hmm. And many actors have that flat monotone and they just talk like this all the time. I've had teachers like that. I sure. think we all have. Oh, yeah. And they're boring. You know, you go to sleep on them. Uh-huh. So an actor has to really put an exciting charge, if you will, into the voice. Sure. And be compelled, particularly when it's just the voice that the audience is listening to. All the emotion has to be in that voice. Yes. Because yes. there's no there's no visual uh, cues at all. And I think no. that's what makes... Uh, again, audio so interesting to me. And yes. what I like about audio, and of course I've only experienced it once in your studio, but what I like about it is you don't need to worry about what you look like, how you're dressed, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, but you, and you can manipulate your body, if you will, and that's a big thing for me. I I I have problems. We're sitting down with this interview. But normally, if I'm acting, I want to be standing mm-hmm. for several reasons. First of all, I can become more animated. Um, and it's just I, I can feel the character better when I'm saying something mm-hmm. as opposed to sitting. And it also cramps the breathing style, people. Sure. Um, when you use the diaphragm and so forth, you can bring in, if you're standing and you're breathing properly with a lower belly, you can bring in three times the amount of air that you can do normally into the lungs. Mm-hmm. So an actor and a singer, swimmer, whatever, need to know this, and most of them do. Sure. Know, the, yeah. But well, I'd love to have you know part of this, the vision of this podcast is to include all forms of entertainment that is audio, and obviously storytelling is part of that. Interviews are part of that. Information. Uh, knowledge transfer, but of course music, and there's sound effects and stuff like that. So um, I would love for this to uh, um, not necessarily expand, but I want to embrace all things audio that includes 
storytelling, you know, in, in audiobook form, not that I'm, we're going to read an audiobook to everyone, the podcast um, format is generally shorter than what an audiobook, but certainly stories, and especially I think what's interesting is using, as opposed to just someone reading the story, but using voice actors to help augment that. Um, and I'm looking for voice actors, by the way. And uh, to this date, I have three women who are interested, and I think I have four men of varying ages, um, but they're not all right for certain parts that I have coming up uh, in, in my stories. So I would welcome anyone who's interested sure. to contact me. Um, yeah. It's um, uh, I'm on the internet. It's the Actors Workshop, Bob Berry, and they can see testimonials and so forth. Sure. Uh, a lot of propaganda in there. <laughs> of uh, course. <laughs> and um, and just give me a call if they're interested in you know yeah. pursuing. Yeah, I just had a voice, uh, a, a, an aspiring voiceover artist in today. Uh, who got um, signed with Helen Wells agency, which for those of you uh, who don't know that, they're an agency up in Carmel that are pretty, in the Midwest, very well known and very reputable and thought highly regarded. But um, yeah, he, he just, he's always wanted to do voiceover work. And so he came in here to do a demo for which they're going to put on the website. So um, voiceover is... Um, I don't know if it's in huge demand, but there's certainly room for different voices, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what I've learned is that everybody has a unique voice, and sometimes their voice is perfect for a certain role, and they don't realize it. Um, and this guy had a great voice. He had a great voice. And, and demos are essential, you know, for an actor who wants that type of work. You sure. need to have proof. It's not enough, and, and most places like Helen Wells or Act One or Artistic Enterprises, uh, the three biggies in Indianapolis, are not necessarily going to take the time to audition you on the mic. That They would right. rather you hand them something exactly. that, that is, you know, solid state, and, and they can listen to it at their, at their convenience. Yes, and, they, and they're actually using this. He's creating this demo so they can put it up on their website as mm. an audition for potential clients. So not only is it a, uh, a uh, kind of an audition, but it's also a demo for potential customers mm. of Helen Wells. So it becomes more important of the quality. And so I, it, I love doing that. I mean, having um, doing voiceover work here or creating demos for aspiring voiceover uh, actors, actresses. Um, you know, that's this studio was built for primarily for a world-class vocal recording booth. Hmm. Um, and so whether that's singing, whether that's, um, you know, voiceover work, storytelling, um, it does great with acoustic instruments as well. Well, for the, for the listener, um, uh, believe me, this, this is a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful studio. Um, I'm looking out two windows here. I could see cars go by. I could see a fire engine went by earlier. You hear nothing in here. And believe me, the first time, if you've never been in a soundproof booth, uh, it's a little startling at first because suddenly you're devoid of any sound at all. Or distractions. And the only thing I can equate it to is when I used to go spelunking, caving in southern Indiana. If you get deep enough in the caves, mm -hmm. not only if you turn your light off is it total black, blacker than black, 
but there's no sound and your ears actually hurt at the beginning mm-hmm. because you're fighting. It's You're used to having sound and nothing's coming in and you say, you know, am I going crazy? <laughs> you know? Right. There's so all this white noise that it's getting exists. Used to it. Yeah. And it, it, it's not that it's hard to get used to. I think part of it is just um, we're used to hearing our voice reflect off walls coming back to us. And in this room, you don't get the reflection. It's designed mm-hmm. to... Um, isolate the source just or isolate the sound so it's just coming from the source which is your mouth mm-hmm. um, and it's real important to capture capture all those nuances so the inside of the room is designed to stop all those reflections to some extent now um, it's got a hardwood floor and so the sound of your voice bounces off the floor which is fine um, and that gives you a little bit of that um, reassurance that yes your voice still exists and yeah. and there is a uh, uh, you know, you are still alive, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting place. And every time um, I bring people in and I shut the door, the first words out of the mouth is "Wow," <laughs> because the difference between this room and the one just on the other side of the door is pretty remarkable. It's incredible. Yeah, you've done a wonderful job insulating. Well, thank you. Yeah, and um, and there's a lot more that goes into these rooms than. It's not just soundproofing to get keep sound out, but on the inside, um, the, the actual shape of this room is designed so that there's not too many parallel walls because that can create um, reflections that overlap and then build up sound pressure and that can um, obscure the recording. Um, so it makes it sound too bassy or, you know, um, too loud in a certain frequency. So you're also trying to isolate and control these sound waves. Sound to me is one of the coolest, if you're into physics, sound is one of the coolest things to study. It's very predictable, but it's very hard to control. Hmm. Um, So um, anybody out there that has a fascination with audio, um, I encourage you to study that. Well, and this is the place to come to uh, experiment or audition or put in a demo tape that's for sure yeah all right bob it was great to have you on the show thanks brian nice to be uh, here let's hope there's more storytellers out there and people that want to do storytelling i think it's great as well as voice actors um it's i think it's a it's a fun thing to do that really um, you can do well into your you know old age like me and you (laughs) <laughs> I think I have you by a few years, Brian. Maybe. Maybe just a few. So, All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Really enjoyed my interview with Bob and hopefully enjoyed the story. And you can look forward to more of those. They're going to be produced here at Village Recording Studio and will be available on iTunes and Google Play. Um, here in the next month or so, we're going to produce the first five episodes Um, They'll be in the same format, kind of short story format using voice actors. And I'll let you know when they'll be available for um, download and listening. All righty, well, let's move on to um, where's Brian. We do have winners from the last segment. And the location was the snow zone here at the corner of Westfield and Winthrop, I believe. But our winners are Wendy Harrison, Francis Kantner, and Justin Mish. You guys are the winners of this fine retro Broad Ripple Village t-shirt with the duck on it. 
And if you want to drop by the studio, I've got various sizes that you can pick up. The studio address is 841 Westfield Boulevard. It's really just south of the fire station. So let's get on to uh, this week's segment of Where's Brian? Um, I've shortened these up a bit. So uh, um, it's more concentrated and uh, I'll give you a smaller snippet. Um, I don't know if that makes it harder or not, but I figure the shorter, the sweeter. So here is this week's segment of Where's Brian? Alrighty, so to make your guess of where I was when I recorded that, just send me an email, bwheat at villagerecording.com, and place your guess. I will announce the winners in the next podcast, generally in a couple of weeks. And if you guess right, you get a, a great retro t-shirt, uh, Rutherford Village with a duck on it, and not available in any other store. Or anywhere else so it's a pretty special shirt so please send in your guesses and um, that pretty much does it for the show thanks for listening uh, remember to like us on Facebook and uh, visit us on our website to make comments uh, villagerecordingpodcast.com and I hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you soon mm-hmm.